who do I envisage would come to a talk like this? And by the way, not only tonight, but I think it's very important that I do comment on next week, because next week I'm going to give a Christian response to the phenomenon of what we call black metal. So I do think it's very important that you do come along next week as well. And don't forget the Q&A. Remember that one of the most important parts of these critical series that Grant's been running on Monday nights uh, is the discussion afterwards. We do want to hear from you. You will have comments and questions, so don't rush off. If you're new, you're very welcome. You might want to meet our senior minister, our rector, Grant. He'd love to meet with you, so don't rush off. Stay behind and enjoy the discussion. Now, I believe that we're coming from different directions. We're coming from different angles. Some of us are metalheads. Some of us know metal. Some of us are just curious about the topic. Others of us are musicologists and want to know more from a, a more academic perspective. Others of us want to know a little bit more about the ideology of metal. I'm not a practicing expert. I need to say that. And neither am I a musicologist per se. I'm just somebody who's interested in philosophy and the history of ideas, and I'm an avid listener of music. That's who I am. I don't really have a great claim to fame. But if you take up your notes, and I hope you have them by now on your phone, you will see, for example, as we start, that the, the visual nature of black metal is very much part of the noise, the music itself. It's very dark, as you can see from that particular dark from album cover. It's a very powerful extremist movement in contemporary music. Uh, for example, if you look at your first page there, there's, there, there are going to be a few quotes, by the way, and a few photographs. Uh, you will see right there, right under the first figure, is a quote from the father of black metal, who named himself after a demon featured in Anton Sanzor-Levay's Satanic Bible. His name is Euronymous, and he starts out, we'll just look at the first sentence, I believed in a horned devil, a personified Satan. What's also interesting is I give you a quote from Hesiod, uh, right at the bottom there, just before my introduction from the Theogony. Now that dates back to arguably... 700 BC, it's interesting to observe, for those of us who are interested, that death and darkness and philosophy have been partners in Western culture for well over 2,000 years. But the question is, why extreme metal? Why come together, come to church on a Monday night and talk about extreme metal, particularly what I call black metal. And again, if you look at your second figure there, you will see a depiction of one of the lead singers of another black metal band, Gorgoroth. You'll see the name has come from Tolkien. Get an idea of the face paint that these guys use, very dark, very intense. Uh, there's a lot of nihilism in black metal. And there's a lot of nihilism in our postmodern age. I give you a quote there just under figure two from Thomas Ligotti, the horror writer, the contemporary horror writer, in many ways Stephen King's successor. 
There is nothing to do, there's nowhere to go, there's nothing to be, and there's no one to know. I wonder how many folk here this evening feel that way. I think a lot of people do, that's why they buy Lugotti's fiction. You watch me face the mirror, writes one metal artist, and see my desecration with my art, I am the fist in the face of God. So again, why should Christians specifically look at black metal, extreme metal? When I talk about black metal, I really mean satanic metal. And I think that there are two main reasons. That whether we're talking about Metallica, whether we're talking about Taylor Swift, or whatever kind of musical genre we are talking about, we know that music is very, very powerful. We know that ideas are not just spread by social media. Maybe 400 years ago they read books. But now, perhaps more than ever before, partly because of social media, ideas are presented by music. Often if you want to understand a culture, you will know that music can be an interpretative key to a particular culture, as well as the kind of questions that people ask. As I often tell my students, some of the most important questions that people are asking in the world today are being asked in popular music. And the question, of course, is are we listening? If we're interested in ideas, if we're interested in our culture, whatever our personal belief system, you might be here tonight as, a, as, a, as an agnostic, or you might call yourself an atheist or a Christian, but you're here tonight because you're interested in ideas, you're interested in culture. Second reason why I think we need to have a look at black metal is because in every subculture, again, including musical subcultures, there are always fringe movements. Now, I don't know about you, but I find the fringe movements very, very interesting because they often comprise people who reject the values of mainstream thought and yet again ask the hard questions about existence, questions that as Christians and non-Christians, we should be willing to consider. Not all of us enjoy extremism. I'm not suggesting that we must all become fans of black metal, but extremism, however it is expressed, whether in art or in music, occasionally does offer insightful criticism to mainstream thought, and extreme metal, in my opinion, is one of these fringe movements. I've been listening to black metal for a very, very long time, for over 20 years, and that's my view. Now, like many other subcultures, black metal has its own subcodes, its own coding system. It has its own aesthetics, as it were. It has its own semiotics, its own symbols. It has its own ways of reference, as we're going to see in the photographs. It, it, it is a potent musical genre which, amongst other things, presents its ideas, its ideologies, visually as well as audibly. And amongst other things, what it does is it critiques mundane, everyday life, especially in the West, by exploring the extremities of human existence through what we might call various modes of transgression. Transgression is a, a term that is being used by sociologists and folks such as Michael Foucault, those of you familiar with contemporary philosophy, a lot of people today, you might be one of those folk, have become unhappy with the mundane existence, perhaps, of the capitalist secular West. 
We see that all over the world today. In many ways, Hamas's action in Egypt, Putin's actions, are a rejection of the capitalist, so-called democratic Western way of doing things. Are there alternatives? And so the purpose of black metal, amongst other things, is, is to search for and to uncover what might be termed a deeper, more authentic existence in a world, in a Europe, increasingly in an Africa without God. Now, of course, black metal are not the first people to explore this idea. We know that Frederick Nietzsche, for example, did this in the 19th century. We know that Voltaire explored this idea during the period of the French Revolution. Friedrich Nietzsche is a very important precursor to black metal, wrote during the end of the 19th century, and he had already predicted brilliantly that God's absence would constitute the reality of a new Europe of the 20th century, indeed a continent of the 21st century, a continent without Christian values. And, and one of the reasons why I think we need to read Nietzsche is because of the courage that he had to face down the darkness and to face down the void and to ask the real questions that atheists should ask. That's why I'm a great admirer, for example, of Friedrich Nietzsche. He spoke of the twilight of the idols or the twilight of the gods. Some metal bands have read Nietzsche. Some metal bands ask existential questions. Can we live life without limits? See, a lot of that in rock and roll. Rock and roll right from the start, even if you want to go back to Chuck Berry or Jerry Lee Lewis, or even if you want to go back to Elvis the Pelvis, or even the early Beatles, rock music or pop music from the start, rock and roll was always a protest form of music. And black metal is taking this notion, in my view, even further than ever before. Can we live a life without limits? In a sense, you could say that's Kurt Cobain. When you look at Kurt Cobain on stage, when you listen to Kurt Cobain being, being interviewed, how about Jim Morrison of The Doors, a man of unparalleled talent? What a beautiful baritone voice. But listen to Jim Morrison's poetry. Listen to his song, Summer's Almost Gone. I think of the late 1960s. Nietzsche spoke of the twilight of the gods, and that is the world in which we're living today. Black metal wants to know whether or not somehow we can submit to death in life. Can we enter into a deeper human authenticity, a greater freedom, a greater humanity if we embrace death while somehow still holding on to some notion of life? Nietzsche wrote these words, and I quote, I know my lot, someday my name will be linked to the memory of something monstrous, of a crisis as yet unprecedented on earth, the most profound collision of consciences, a decision conjured up against everything hitherto believed, demanded, hallowed, I am not a man, I am dynamite. In many ways it was right. We're living in a, in a Nietzschean age. But let's move on to point number three. And the third question I want to quickly ask is, what is a musical genre? If we're going to talk about music tonight, we're going to talk about black metal. What is a genre? Now, many musicians will tell you that over the years, attempts have been made to define a musical genre. And, of course, related to this is another interesting question that I'd love to discuss with you. And that is, what is the difference between music and noise? Is music something that is transcendental? Is it idealistic or is it merely a social construct? What is the difference between music and noise? 
But for our purposes, we can define a genre as a set of various acceptable musical events acknowledged within a particular social community. And the same thing goes for the heavy metal scene. But the metal scene, if you know anything about metal, doesn't comprise a singular monolithic phenomenon. Postmodern studies of music have demonstrated that there are always going to be subgenres of music, subgenres of metal music, and music is always going to be in a state of flux. It's always going to be evolving. And furthermore, musical styles don't operate in a vacuum. We know that. You follow social media, you'll have one particular genre that will morph or will evolve into another style. You'll have an existing genre that is relatively stable, a stable system or a stable set of musical codes, whether it's hard rock, and then it is transgressed in certain ways, and then it becomes something else. I'm reminded of the phrase coined by Thomas Kuhn, the philosopher of science, who coined the, the phrase paradigm shift. We can't exactly compare the philosophy of science to black metal, but in a sense it is true to say that music goes through paradigm shifts, mapping some of the issues and the problems that we find in the culture around us. That's why if we are students of whatever nature, and there are many students here tonight, we should be interested in what musical people are saying. Each musical paradigm then can become recognized as being unique in its own right. And if you look at figure three, you'll see again how serious extreme metal takes its art and its aesthetics. Enormous amount of time and effort goes into their album covers. Believe it or not, I still buy CDs, I stream as well to learn about music, but I, I still want something physical in my hands, partly because... I collect their art, and I love their artwork. So generally speaking, extreme metal embraces various forms of metal. You could even say that thrash metal is quite extreme. But I'm thinking particularly of death and black metal. And again, notably, we're focusing on black metal. We're going to delve, therefore, into black metal this evening in the time that I have available, and we're going to discuss the subject in two primary areas. Number one, I want to trace a little bit of black metal's historical development. And then secondly, we'll move on and look at some of the, some of the ideological or sociological or philosophical characteristics. What is the message of extreme black metal? And then we'll end, hopefully, with some, some discussion. So let's look at some historical origins and development. If you look at figure four and figure five, you'll get an idea of where we're going. Have a look, for example, at figure four. Uh, Century Media, by the way, is a mainstream metal album producer company. They produce metal albums. And uh, there's a death metal band album there, To Hell With God. And you think to yourself... Would you see something like that in the 1950s in the United States just after the Second World War? And the answer is no, you wouldn't. I mean, it gives you an idea of where, where we're going. Euronymous, again, arguably the godfather of black metal, writes just under figure four, and I quote, when we say that we are into death metal, then it means that we worship the dead. There is nothing that is too raw, disgusting, or sick. 
In figure five, you've got one of Black Sabbath's albums. I'll talk about Black Sabbath in a minute. So we can trace the origins of heavy metal, according to most scholars, and there's an increasing body of literature on the subject, and for those of you who'd like to delve further, I won't talk much about my footnotes or talk much about my bibliography, but you can have a look at that in your own time. But experts tell us that we can trace the origins of heavy metal to the Midlands of England, particularly Birmingham. And although at this stage, when we go to the 1970s and the late 60s, not to be regarded as extreme metal, we can nevertheless refer to the music of Black Sabbath and then Led Zeppelin from, again, the early 1970s and onwards. Because at that time, each band featured certain novel transgressions or changes. We all know that John Bonham, those of us who do Led Zeppelin will know that John Bonham is arguably one of the finest drummers of the 20th century. We all know about Jimmy Page and his guitar work. And of course, Robert Plant's incredible voice. Tony Iommi of Black Sabbath, his low, grinding riffs that, that are unique. And so it goes on. There's a moving away from traditional, existing rock styles of the 50s and the 60s. And these developments are both visual as well as audible in the sense that these early bands not only espouse a new musical style, but also novel symbols and ideologies. And one of these was a new fascination with the occult. We see this in Black Sabbath's dalliance with the occult and Satanism. Uh, Giza Butler, Tony Iommi, Ozzy Osbourne confessed once in an interview that he was interested in, in satanic literature. But I don't think Black Sabbath really took it as seriously as, say, for example, Gorgorov, who literally worshipped the devil. For, for many of these guys, Satanism is just a, a marketing point. Uh, but Led Zeppelin, the same thing. We know that Jimmy Page was very, very interested in Aleister Crowley, and he owned his own occultic bookshop. Very well read in the occult. And then after that, if we move forward to the late 1970s and the 80s, we have a second wave of the so-called new wave of British heavy metal. And that occurred somewhat after Led Zeppelin and after Black Sabbath. A whole lot of bands, some, some scholars maintain more than 100 bands began to play heavier metal all over the Midlands of England and moved down into London. But the one band that we are really interested in tonight is Venom, figure six. Because if you look at figure six, you'll see they brought out two landmark albums in the 1980s, 1982, 1981, Welcome to Hell, and they were the first band to coin the term black metal. So now we see something new. The 1990s, of course, witnessed further fragmentation of this new movement into even more varying subgenres, and we'll talk about those a bit later. But two of the most extreme, as I've said, are death and black metal. But with, with Venom, you've got something new. I mean, even with the vocals of, say, a very good thrash metal band, arguably Metallica is the thrash metal band, David Hetfield is, I wouldn't say that his vocals are clean, but, but he's quite a heavy vocalist. But now we find a new lyric, for example, with Venom. The lyrics are screamed. They growled. There's a tremendous amount of anger and social protest in the vocals. A strong predilection for death, for violence and Satan. 
later to emerge after Venom with death and black metal. With death metal, the focus is more on death and suffering and torture. Black metal is more into Satan and Satanism. And the British band Venom released the landmark album, Welcome to Hell, in the 1980s. And now we have what we might term for the first time extreme metal. I think this was partly because of the, the, the fact that, that Venom were a pretty lousy band. They weren't particularly good at what they did, and I think they covered up their lack of skill with the noise that they made. But you've got the stripped-down presentation of the genre. Both death and black subgenres of metal are now identifiable through this low-quality production recordings, the use of heavy distortion, blindingly fast double bass drumming, low-tuned guitars, seven-string guitars, a kind of a repetitive guitar, a, a tremolo approach, a lot of growling or moaning instead of normal singing. And by the way, these guys take their growling very, very seriously. These guys are serious artists when it comes to their growling. We mustn't misunderstand them, and we mustn't underestimate the power of the human voice to express emotion. One of the best in the business is George Corpse Grinder Fisher of Cannibal Corpse. He's got a neck like this. And at the Wacken Open Air Festival in Germany a few years ago, it's the biggest heavy metal open air festival in the world, nine o'clock at night before show, show day, show morning. George Corpse Grinder Fisher is not putting away the lagers, he's in bed because he's got a soft compress on his throat because he's getting his voice ready for the next day. That's how serious these guys are about their art and their music and their voices. Heavy distortion, growling, moaning, pagan lyrics, hatred of Christianity, often taking the shape of satanic themes. And again, as I've said, death metal is quite similar in style to, to, to black metal, but it has a certain amount of variation. As I've said, it's not quite as obsessed with satanic or occultic themes. Instead, it chooses death, violence, and nihilism, or nihilism. We see that again on the art that the intense bands produce. Their album covers are very, very important. Look at Beermoth's album, The Apostasy, Figure 7. Uh, brilliantly done, and thanks to Brother Grant, who spent an enormous amount of time preparing these images for us. Uh, have a look, for example, at figure eight, the album Demigod. You can see the detail there. You can see the horror in the message. The photograph of the band there, also uh, figure eight on the right-hand side, with Nurgle, who's the chief singer of Beermoth, who's dedicated his entire life to the band. He's a very, very serious guy. He's philosophically one of the most interesting guys to listen to. Very well read. He's a national figure in Polish culture today. He was on Idols. He was one of the judges in the Polish version of Idols. One particular metal guitarist said this, and I quote just below figure eight, the most important thing that happened is that a church burned down. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. Some of these guys actually burned churches down in the early 90s in Norway. In fact, the purest form of black metal didn't actually begin with venom in England, but began in Norway, in Scandinavian countries, particularly Norway. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I find this very interesting, specifically because when you look at the Scandinavian countries, Grand Sister Debbie stays in Norway, I see that as a bit of a sociological anomaly because the Scandinavian countries seem to present to the rest of the world a, a model of tranquility embodying the fulfillment of secular liberalism with a very sophisticated social welfare program. If you don't have a job in Norway and you're a Norwegian citizen, you can live pretty comfortably. They're such happy places. Why do they feature some of the most disturbing iconoclastic musical genres in the world today? Why do they wear the masks that they wear? You see many of these metal musicians uh, in some of our photographs wearing death masks and other extreme messages. Again, not only in their music, but in the way they dress, uh, the manner in which they present themselves. They're obsessed with darkness and with death, with an underlying message of anger and dissatisfaction expressed towards traditional culture and the projection also, of course, of tremendous power and control. Figure 9 there, you'll see that most metal bands have their own logo. There's Mayhem's logo in Gorgoroth. You notice how they use this Gothic script. There's a skull there. And as I've suggested, one of the most prominent figures in the original Norwegian black metal scene in the late 1980s was a guy who called himself Euronymous, named himself after a demon. Now, the incredible thing is that these guys were in their 20s. They were in their early 20s. They formed this band called Mayhem, which was strongly anti-Christian, and their express goal was to destroy the church and to bring back ancient Scandinavian religions to Norwegian culture. They wanted to bring, like many of these metal bands, they wanted to bring culture back to the ancient Norse roots, particularly black metal bands and even Viking metal bands that are operating out of Scandinavia. And this black metal movement, this original black metal movement in Norway was run by this guy, Euronymous. And he started a little record shop which he called Helvete, which is in Oslo today. In fact, a friend of mine has come back and apparently it's a cultural site that he's so famous or infamous that there are people from all over the world that go to hell. He's old black interior, black-painted shop, record shop, to see how the movement actually started. And the record store was called Hell. If you look at figure 10, you'll see some more cover art. I won't say much there. Look at figure 11. I point you to figure 11 on the left-hand side. You've got MGLA. That's a relatively recent band. I love the artwork there. Exercises in futility on, on the left. This, this emaciated figure, this, this terrible, lost, lonely, living, dead figure, this emaciated figure reaching out for something that just isn't there. And it was at this time in Norway in the late 80s and 90s that were, there were churches in Norway that were actually mysteriously set on fire. Some were completely destroyed. And many of these churches were hundreds of years old and were an important part of Norway's cultural heritage. Some of them were, were priceless. And evidence of a lot of the arson pointed back to Euronymous and his black metal group, as well as to Emperor and one or two other, other black metal groups. You look at figure 12, there's a, one of the Norwegian Fantoff churches. I think one of those were actually burned by the black metal movement. 
And the black metal inner circle received even more public exposure in 1993 when one of the members of Mayhem, if anybody can get more insane than Euronymous, it was this guy who called himself Varg Vicanus. And Varg Vicanus actually murdered Euronymous, stabbing him 23 times in the head and back. But before Euronymous got murdered, Euronymous came home one day to find their guitarist, a guy who called himself Dead. Dead had blown his head off with a shotgun, and Euronymous ran over the road, allegedly to the local pharmacy, bought an instant camera, took a photograph of Dead's brains, and put it on the next album cover. Fairly good authority in that particular anecdote. Euronymous gets murdered by Varg Vicanus, stabbed 23 times in the head, convicted of four counts of arson, sentenced to 21 years in, in prison, produces two albums in prison in Norway because it's like moving into a five-star hotel. I don't know if you've ever been to prison in Norway. It's not such a bad thing. Roughly during this time, while he was incarcerated, he dallied a bit with neo-Nazism. Many of these black metal bands are actually quite into extreme forms of socialism and even uh, anti-Semitism. He's paroled in May 2009, released another album, and then I read that Pepsi offered him a deal whereby he would sign a sponsorship to promote their soft drink. If you look at figure 13, there you've got uh, death metal, cannibal corpse. Grant got some fantastic shots. A lot of their albums are banned, even today, in certain parts of Europe. And their art is banned. I, I think Gore Obsessed on the right-hand side, on my right-hand side, uh, I think the cover is actually quite hard to get on the internet because it's banned. And they've just brought out a new, a new album. Uh, and, and that's the heaviest death metal band probably in the world. That's our friend George Corpse Grinder Fisher with a neck like that. That's Cannibal Corpse. What about the recent development since the 1990s? Well, a lot more fragmentation under point number six there. So the black metal scene to some extent has become a bit more mainstream where there's money to be made. A lot of people are going to get on board. Some black metal bands start to make music that's a little bit less extreme, a little bit more popular, uh, a little more accessible, such as Dimmu Borgia, uh, using keyboards and so on, and the market begins to grow. And since the mid-1990s, black metal as this genre again has expanded, but, but it's expanded in all kinds of fascinating directions. And judging by the antics of sociopathic people like Euronymous and Vicanus, it seems to, seems to be pretty easy, well, certainly easy for culturally conservative people to say, well, we've just got to get rid of these people. A lot of countries like Poland have tried to ban black metal entirely, including Russia, but haven't quite succeeded because they, you know, they're such an antisocial movement. We, again, we might ask the question, can there be any creative contribution to offer Contemporary music with black metal. Look at figure 14. There's Nurgle, who heads up Behemoth, the most famous Polish death, deathened black metal band in the world. Look at how serious they take their photography. But in actual fact, there's a great deal, believe it or not, of creativity with black metal. For those of us who are interested in listening to extreme forms of metal, 
There's a great deal of interesting things that are going on in terms of artistic expression in the black metal movement. Because new movements in the arts, of course, transgress traditional boundaries. We might not always agree with their ideology. We might not always agree with what they're saying. But musically, they're very interesting. It's like moving from the romantic movement in classical music into the 20th century. Or it's like listening to Marlowe, who it seems to me is one foot in the 19th century and another foot in the 20th. To move from Beethoven to Marlowe, you've got to stretch your imagination somewhat. I always say to my students, don't just listen to the stuff that you find accessible. Grow as a person. Don't just read the stuff that you find accessible. Read the stuff that you know is important culturally, that you don't understand. Don't just listen to the easy stuff. Stretch yourself. We find in black black metal music all kinds of new horizons that have now started to develop from the 2000s. New forms of music are born on the edge of older, more established forms of art and music. Figure 15 is one of the most scary black metal album covers I've ever seen. And uh, I got it here in black and white, but I love what Grant did with it. Uh, The art is just so evocative, isn't it? It's really uh, very, very hectic stuff. Uh, It's dark dark funeral, by the way. It's not dark throne. And uh, what we have found, by the way, since the early 2000s, is that there are bands from behind the Iron Curtain. Black metal has started to grow from behind the Iron Curtain, and they've been recording albums that are in keeping with much of the sound and the traditional genres and the growling and the heavy drumming of traditional black metal, but are adding indigenous folk elements to their arrangements. But the Latvian band Skyforger is an example of this trend. I think I gave Grant a Skyforger album. Ukrainian band Nocturnal Mortem. Slavic folk instruments. Can you believe it? Black metal is so flexible. Nigura Bangwit is a black metal outfit from Romania. They've injected their own unique combination of indigenous Latin and Slavic elements with a kind of a Scandinavian sound. You know the music from Vikings, the series Vikings? The band that played, was it Waruna? Waruna who played for Vikings, this beautiful, mystical Viking music. A lot of the black metal bands have actually bought into this kind of sound. France has produced some of the most incredible bands. I've given you some names there. Amasseurs, Alceste, uh, Blutas Nurt. Sounds German, but they're French. Make the most incredibly mystical, evocative nihilistic music, Blutas Nort. I'm ordering their new album. I mean, it cost me like 800 rand from Amazon. Don't tell the principal of the George Hittle College. He'll... So I'm earning too much money, but, but their stuff is amazing. Death Spell Amiga, examples of this. All right, well, what I want to do in the last little bit of time that I've got, if we look first of all at figure 16, have a look again at how these guys dress up. Now, one of the most scary guys in the black metal movement is Gaal. He used to belong to Gorgoroth. And you'll know that that's a name from Tolkien. That was Sauron's land. It was the plains of Gorgoroth where all the orcs used to hang around. And uh, he's been imprisoned twice. Once for torturing somebody over a period of a few days. Locked somebody up for two or three days. Tortured them until this guy managed to escape and call the police. He's a Norwegian. 
And he's named after Norwegian, some kind of Norwegian folk god, Gaal. So let's have a look quickly at some of the, the, the ideological characteristics of black metal. We've covered some of them already, but first of all, let's quickly speak about 7.1 bands who read. All I really want to say at this point is that we mustn't write off all black metal practitioners as beer-drinking idiots. Some of them are, but not all of them. Some of them are very, very well read and have a lot, and have a lot to say. Adam Darsky is the real name of Nurgle. It's also the name of a demon, and he heads up the most famous Polish black and death metal band. He says this, I was always arrogant and insolent. I embraced these features. Just like my secret love, uh, love life for anarchy and chaos, Nietzsche once said that you need to have chaos in your life to give life to the dancing start. There you've got another quote from another metal artist there. Footnote number 40, you can read that in your own time. So in other words, although many extreme bands just make music to get a gig, other extreme metal bands do reflect deeply on the social and philosophical nature of what they're doing. They do have a message. And by the way, for those of us as, as, as parents, Christian parents, uh, we need to be interested in what our children are listening to. Not simply because we want to rebuke them, but we want to actually learn from them and, and help them along their journey. Remember that when your, your child listens to music, he or she is not simply hearing sound, but there is ideology in music. We need to be very much aware of that. There is a message there. And many of the black metal bands out there are offering insightful comments on our current philosophical tragedies and problems that are facing the secular West today. What is it like to live in a world without God? What is it like to live in an environment where there's no real hope? Isn't it ironic that the most comfortable continent, the most comfortable culture with regard just to money that we've ever probably produced is the West, and yet we are the most oppressed? I'm amazed at how many younger people are taking antidepressants today in a culture where many of us have everything we need. So I think in this, in this sense, the questions that a lot of black metal artists ask are very relevant. Figure 17 on the left, Shining's new album. I've just bought it. It's just arrived from Amazon. Now, I won't tell you what I paid for it. There's somebody cutting their throat, their own throat. Shining's a very famous band. The next thing I want to talk about under 7.2 very briefly is what I've called transgression. Some philosophers talk about it. Uh, George Bataille, there, there's a quote from George Bataille there under 7.2 in your notes. You'll see figure 17 and then 7.2, and you'll see a quote from one of the most interesting writers of the earlier part of the 20th century who dallied with sex and death, George Bataille, who was then read by the later postmodernists like Michel Foucault and Jacques Derrida and folk like Jean-Paul Sartre, Simone de Beauvoir, and many of these guys in the 60s exported this new brand of literary theory, which later would become critical theory to the departments of literature in the United States. This is what George Bataille says many, many, many years before black metal. A violent death 
disrupts the creature's discontinuity. What remains, what the tense onlookers experience in the succeeding silence is the continuity of all existence with which the victim is now one. Only a spectacular killing carried out as the solemn and collective nature of, religious, of religion dictates has the power to reveal what normally escapes notice. The great Satanist Alistair Crowley said this, and I quote, Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Do you not hear the voice of the snake in Genesis chapter 3 there? Again, we have a fascinating quote from Plato, 500 BC, from one of his philosophical works, showing the relationship, the fascination between philosophy and ideology and death. What is interesting is that Adam and Eve, in rebelling against God in the garden in the Bible, wanted to explore the possibility of inaugurating or birthing a new humanity, one without restraints, existing outside or transgressing established cultural norms and laws, as in their case, God's boundaries that had been established for those created in his image. One author referred to this fundamental human drive as an escape from creaturehood. And I can comment more here in the notes about how from the earliest times, from the sophists who arrived in ancient Athens to the Marquis de Sade, we get the word sadism from the Marquis de Sade, who believed that humanity would only find its true freedom through violence and sex. Right from the beginning of time, we've had various groups, haven't we? And individuals who want to transgress normal civilization in order to discover freedom. If you move forward in the notes to figure number 19, you'll see there's a picture of the Marquis de Sade. If you move just below the diagram of the Marquis de Sade, we're just moving a little bit forward, you'll see there I talk a little bit about nihilism and Satanism. I've spoken a little bit about that. Friedrich Nietzsche believing that if God is dead, then at the end of the day, Europe will never be the same again. Some of us have read uh, Dostoevsky, the brothers Kamarazov, where you read this massive novel, and out of this novel comes this enormously powerful statement that if everything is permissible, well, then God is dead, or the other way around. If God is dead, then everything is permissible. Look at the quote that you will find, the second quote under 7.3 in the notes, where we read, there's no place in my life for any powers of nature superior to men. I absolutely decline the belief in a personified, personified God. I also decline the belief that our fortunes and misfortunes are dependent on some force majeure. We take responsibility for our own lives. Knock God off the pedestal and you will take his place. Deus absconditus, that's my philosophy. Maybe that's your philosophy. Now, if you page forward, you'll see I say a couple of things about uh, Ozzy Osbourne. I say a little bit about Alistair Crowley. There's some more photographs of mayhem, figure number 21. And uh, I've already commented on anti-Semitism. I'll talk a little bit more about that under point 7.5. I'm not going to look into that now. And then I speak a little bit about Anton LaVey, who is the founder of the Church of Satan from 1969. That basically takes me to the end of my first, uh, my first presentation. As you can see, there's more in the notes that you can have a look at. 
there's more I can say. But in the last few minutes that I, that I have, what I want to do is I want to share a story with you because I want you to come along next week. 